listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This message is from the series Heroes and Underdogs, with a new weekly topic on one or more people who did great things for God. Be sure to check out Michael's book, A Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear. You can get it on Amazon or wherever books are sold. What I'd like to do today is look at one of the most important, significant things in all of your life, the most important endeavor of your life, the number one thing that you should be about. Most of us have a little bit of difficulty with our morning and our evening routines. Can I get an amen for that? Most of us could use a little bit of tweaking. Our morning routines and our evening routines, they could use a little bit of a tune-up, sometimes an overhaul. Sometimes it's not just that they need a little bit of refinement, but they need to be completely made over from the top to the bottom. Our morning routine, our evening routine, our morning times and our evening times, they set the stage for the entire day. And if your entire day is affected by your morning routine and your evening routine, you and I need to spend a lot more time thinking about what we're doing in the morning of every day and in the evening of every day because the fact of the matter is that today is eventually going to take its place as a tile in the mosaic of your life. The mosaic of your life is made up of each of the individual days. And many of us, our families are being affected, our work performance on the job, Our businesses are being affected, our churches are being affected, and even our nation is being affected for no other reason than what's happening in our morning and our evening routines. It's absolutely amazing when you stop and think about it. Our entire lives, however many decades we might live, are going to be directly affected for better or for worse. I suggest it be for better. By nothing other than what's happening consistently, consistently in your morning routine and your evening routine. If you can get a grip on what's happening in every day of your life, in your morning routine, if you can take a step back and examine, evaluate, tweak, refine, perhaps overhaul what's happening at the end of your day, each routine at the end of your day. If you can take care of what's on the front end of your day and the evening of your day, everything in between will begin to straighten out. And you might be saying to yourself right now, wait a second, I came to church. Listen, buddy, open your Bible and start preaching the Bible. I'm going to do that. But I want to help you understand the most motivational messages, the most life-changing, transforming messages, yes, they come from the Bible. But what we need to do is we need to take the Bible and apply it to our lives in light of what's happening in the 21st century. And one of the things that's happening in the 21st century is that you and I are so doggone busy. Our lives resemble human doings more than human beings. We believe the lie that doing more is better, that busy is best. But you know, the more you read the Bible and the more the Bible reads you, you begin to realize that 
busy is not necessarily best. Oftentimes, less is more, and simple is better. Now, if you're like me, and I'm like you, and guess what we are? I just happen to be up here on the platform, but we're the same. My morning routine, my evening routine, I need to continually refine them. I need to continually pare them down. I need to continually filter how I'm spending my time in the very first waking moments of my morning and the last moments of my evening because how I spend those two times in the morning and in the evening will set the stage for everything that happens in between. And when I end my day properly, I begin the next day properly. When I don't end my day properly and consistently, I get off on the wrong foot the next morning. And I don't know if you've ever tried to live a particular day when it's gotten off on the wrong foot. Anybody ever done that? If you're like me, there are times when you shake your head and you say, I've got to do something different. Albert Einstein, brilliant man, made the observation that insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. If you want to change some things in your life, you've got to change some things in your life. You should write that down. It's so profound. You want to change some things in your life, you've got to change some things in your life. And typically, the two things that need to change most significantly are our morning routine and our end-of-the-day routine. We often spend too much time watching things at the end of the day that we don't need to watch, looking at things, paying attention to things we don't need to pay attention to. And we often get up a little bit too late and we end up being hurried and running around. And there's a huge sacrifice that we're making in this tile of each individual day that is eventually going to take its place in the whole mosaic of our lives. Do you understand that? Today comes before tomorrow, which comes before the next day. And before you know it, the days unfold into weeks, which become months, which become years, which become decades. And before you know it, life, it's over. And we begin to look back at our lives and we look at what we've accomplished. And not only what we've accomplished, but the older we get, we begin to look at how we have accomplished it. And that's when we begin to say, I would have, I should have, I could have. One of the most significant things that God's Word does for us is it helps us examine ourselves. It gives the Lord Himself an opportunity to examine us. It invites Him into our lives, into the recesses of our lives, into the daily routine of our lives. And I'm going to suggest the morning routine and the evening routine of our lives. And guess what? God begins to change each day, and as each day changes, the weeks begin to change, the months begin to change, the years begin to change, the decades begin to change, and before you know it, inch by inch, bit by bit, our entire lives are transformed. You need to, in a very good, relieving way, you need to stop thinking about where you're going to be 10, 20, 30 years from now. You need to begin to think about what you're going to do this evening. You need to begin to think about what your past week was like. What is your morning routine like? What do you do in the first waking moments of the day? Do you run around like a chicken with its head cut off? What do you do in the last few moments of your day? 
Are you really getting the kind of sleep that you should get? Because see, the way you're spending your morning, the way you're spending your evening is affecting each and every day. You are the byproduct of what you're consistently doing in your life. And so what I'd like to do today is to take what we would normally think is some esoteric, mysterious, mystical concept, the idea of walking with God, and I want to take it out of the stratosphere and I want to land it on the tarmac. I want you to understand that it's God's calling for every single one of us that we walk with him. That's not for some spiritually elite people that God has only called, well, a few people. Well, that's easy for you to say because you're a pastor. God has called you to be some kind of spiritual elitist or that's for a monk somewhere. That walking with God is something I've never been able to wrap my head around. I've never been able to really grasp the idea of what it should look like for me to walk with God on a day-by-day basis. We're going to take that concept that's out there in the stratosphere that seems esoteric and mysterious and too hard to wrap our heads around, and we're going to land it onto the tarmac. So by the time we're done, you're going to know some specific changes that you can and should, and I would dare say you will make for God's glory and your benefit in your morning routine and in your evening routine so that each day begins to change in your life, begins to change each week, begins to change each month, which changes the years. And before you know it, you begin to look back and you're able to say, you are able to say about yourself, not someone else. I'm actually walking with God. Turn with me to the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. The book of Genesis, chapter 5. You know, I'm partial, but I think the name Genesis would be a great name for a church. Don't you think so? (laughs) Genesis, chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Look what it says here. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Unlike anything else in all of creation, human beings are created in the likeness, the image of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man or Adam. That's what it is in the Hebrew, when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness. See how creative God is and this idea of replication? He fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. 
Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God. You see the contrast here? All of a sudden, he didn't just live He didn't just live after he fathered Methuselah. It says that Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And in this whole story here in Genesis 5 of 10 individuals that are listed, it's only said of Enoch that he walked with God. The other ones lived and then they died. They lived and then they died. And it's a great reminder for you and for me. It's one thing to be alive. It's another thing to walk with God. It doesn't matter how many years you are alive. That doesn't mean anything. Just because you've been around for so many decades, that's a given. You come into this world and guess what? Life begins. You have brain waves. You have a heartbeat. You begin to learn, you begin to get educated, you begin to go to work, you begin to make money, and maybe you have a family, maybe you buy a house, maybe you buy a car, you have a career that begins to unfold, and life begins to unfold, and before you know it, life is what happens to you when you're busy making other plans. And we get very busy, and we get very distracted, and we get very diverted, and I would go so far as to say perverted. Life gets perverted. God's calling for every single one of us is that we walk with him. It's not for some spiritually elite people. that This is only for Enoch, that he's the only one that had an opportunity to walk with God. It's for every single one of us. God's calling is for you to walk with him, to talk with him. Think of all the possible accomplishments that you could achieve by the end of your life. Think of all the things you might have achieved up to this point. Put them all together. If at the end of your life it cannot be said that you walked with God, what does it matter what else you've accomplished? And you might, like me, struggle with your schedule and time management. And so the day in and the day out of what it means to walk with God. But the hope is, the good news is, that if you take a step back and you're willing to make some adjustments in your morning routine and in your evening routine, everything in between will begin to take care of itself. And you can actually be a man and a woman, not just a man or a woman or a boy or a girl, You can be a man of God, a woman of God, a child, a young person, an old person, a middle-aged person. You can be black or white or wafer fair or cocoa brown. You can be any skin color imaginable. You can be a person who walks with God. God's calling is for each and every one of us. But Enoch stands out. And I'm not so sure that that's not the way it is today. In God's house among God's people where so many are called, so many are saved. So many know Jesus Christ as their Savior, but are not walking with him as Lord. There's a difference. This happens in church all over the place, happens in churches all over the country. 
And that would mean that it might even happen in our church. It happens in households all around the country. This means it might happen in your household. See, we can make the mistake of thinking that because it's been so many years since we've given our life to Christ, since so many years have passed, think about when you gave your life to Christ. And if that's a mystery to you, it might be an indication that you haven't yet given your life to Christ. And today, you can begin to walk with God by giving your life to Christ. You have an opportunity to do that. So you have to be careful. Because the danger is that you could think, well, it's been so many years since that day that I gave my life to Christ, so therefore, I'm spiritually maturing, I'm growing, I have been walking with God. Listen, if you think that, that's like saying, well, I've been eating hamburger ever since the first day I went to McDonald's. Is that what that means? Have you been eating hamburger every single day since you went to McDonald's? Now, if you're eating McDonald's hamburgers every single day, you have some other problems, I'm sure, as well. But listen, just because you accepted Christ so many years ago, that's God's work in your life anyway. The question is, are you walking with God? Have you made a deliberate choice to surrender to the God who saved you? So that the way you're living in the beginning of each day, the way you're living at the end of each day is deliberate, it's intentional, it's on purpose, so that everything in between the beginning and the end of your day is straightened out so that Jesus is really on the throne of your heart so that you really are walking with God. See, one of the things that's most difficult for church leadership, and you might be watching today, you might be listening today as a pastor or an elder, and you can identify with this. A lot of times people assume, because we can get on autopilot when it comes to salvation. We get saved, our sins are forgiven, life gets busy, we allow life to dictate the terms of our schedule instead of the author of life dictating how we're living each and every day. And before you know it, Years have passed, maybe decades have passed, and we begin to make the mistake of thinking we're spiritually mature because so much time has passed. One of the most difficult things for church leadership is to help people who, there's a lot of time that's transpired between the day that they gave their lives to Christ and where they are now. Help them understand that there could be a disconnect. There's not necessarily a correlation between how long it's been between now and when you accepted Christ. In fact, if you don't believe me, don't take my word for it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says this, beginning in verse 1. Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he addresses them as saints, but they're not really as mature as they should be. See, maturity is the issue. Paul talks about this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Why am I repeating that three times? Because that's a verse of Scripture that you do well to commit to memory you would do well to understand that this is part of God's objective in your life. Paul said, we make it our aim to present everybody complete in Christ. So if that's God's aim, that should be your aim too. Not to be satisfied just with salvation, although we're, we're grateful for salvation, of course. But there's something about having a holy discontentedness with where you are and wanting to go deeper with God so that you can go further in your influence for him. Amen. The deeper you go in Jesus... The more of an impact you'll have, the wider your impact in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family. So depth does determine overflow. It does determine impact. 
But here, Paul's writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food. And that's not a compliment he's giving them. For you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you're still of the flesh. Meaning you're being dictated by the flesh rather than the Holy Spirit. And the implication here is that time has passed. The danger is in your life and mine that time could pass. We could think that just because time has passed, that makes us spiritually mature in Jesus. It doesn't. It makes us older. But we can grow older and not necessarily more mature. And so Paul had to tell the Corinthians, listen, time has passed. Why is it that I'm still giving you milk and you should be eating meat? That's what he says. For you're still of the flesh, for, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Such an important thing to understand. Don't confuse the amount of years that have transpired from when you first gave your life to Christ with maturing in Jesus. They're not necessarily correlated. See, they're only correlated if you make it your ambition to surrender to the God who wants you to grow in completeness, who wants you to mature, who wants you to grow up, who wants you to move from drinking spiritually milk of the word to growing up to eating the meat of the word. And one of the things that happens in church is people mistake. They think, well, I've been in this church for X number of years. Good for you. Well, I came to know Jesus 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago, or I came to know Jesus 50 or 60 or more years ago. That's not the question. That doesn't make your salvation more secure, just the number of years that have passed. It's wonderful that God has saved you. It's wonderful that God's going to save you. Maybe just a moment when you give your life to him. But in a similar way, in the same way we could confuse the amount of time that has transpired since we first gave our lives to Christ and think that that makes us spiritually mature, you could make the mistake of thinking your spiritual gift, your spiritual gift means you're walking with God. But your spiritual gift doesn't necessarily mean you're walking with God. See, a spiritual gift... Charismata is the Greek word translated into the English that's used, a grace gift, an undeserved thing that God gives you. And when you accept Christ as your Savior, you get at least one spiritual gift. And I would go even further, and I would say, it's not just your spiritual gifts that matter. It's also your natural talents. It's also your personality. It's also the education that you acquire through your life. It's also the money that God puts into your hands, all the resources that God gives you. All of that stuff, God gives it to you. It's grace, it's undeserved favor, okay? But just because God gives you those things doesn't mean that that means you're using them in a strategically leveraged, a strategically significant way that demonstrates you're walking with him. So you could make the mistake of thinking that motion equals ministry. You could make the mistake of thinking motion equals ministry. Motion does not necessarily mean that you're ministering. 
in the way that God wants you to minister. The exercise of your spiritual gift, why it's the most supernatural thing about you. Because you didn't have anything to do with it. God gave it to you. That's why it's called a grace gift, the charismata. You didn't do anything to earn it. You have a responsibility to steward it. Paul says, fan into flame, he told Timothy, the gift given to you, the charismata, the undeserved gift that was given to you through the laying on of my hands. So we have an obligation to make the most of our spiritual gifts, make the most of your natural talents, make the most of the money that God has given you, make the most of all the resources that God has given you, take the aptitude that God has given you and use it for God's glory. Maybe you're a behind-the-scenes person. Maybe you're a very upfront and public person. Maybe you, you might be a behind-the-scenes person now, but God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he might cause you to be a very upfront, vocal person to have an impact for Jesus. But whether it's your natural talents or your spiritual gifts or your money or your resources, it's really not even right to say they're your resources, that it's your gift or it's your money or your aptitude. God gives it all to us, but he doesn't compel us to use them for his glory. He gives them to us, and then we have a responsibility. And the real question is, will you use them in such a way that you'll be walking with God? Will you use them in such a way that your life can be characterized as walking with God? Because a lot of people make the mistake. It happens all the time. You get your identity in your spiritual gift. And sometimes, you know what God does? It's happened to me. Might have happened to you. Might happen to you in the future. Sometimes God has to sit us down on the sidelines so that we cannot exercise our spiritual gifting, our natural talents the way we otherwise would because we have confused, we have an identity crisis. We think that our spiritual gifting is synonymous with walking with God. Now, if you're walking with God and you're using your gifts and your talents and your aptitude as an overflow of walking with God, that's a good, beautiful thing. But you know what? I roll out of bed. If you said, teach me something from the Word of God, I could do it. Not because I gave myself that gift. And if you ask me to get out of bed and serve somebody, I struggle with that. Others of you, you might say, well, if you ask me to get out of bed, I roll out of bed the most natural thing for me to do is to serve somebody, serve my family. I just go into service mode. But if you ask me to teach the Bible, no, thank you. The spiritual gift that God has given you is not something that you determined to give yourself. God gave it to you. It's the most supernatural thing that you can do with the supernatural gifting that God has given you to just walk in it. But that gifting comes from God. The development of your character, that's a choice that you make. That's a choice that I make. And oftentimes in the body of Christ, there's a disconnect between our character, meaning Christ-likeness, Christ-likeness, and our spiritual gifting. One of the aims of the Holy Spirit is to get that Christ-like character to overflow and overlap and intertwine with that spiritual gifting. And then you get a spiritual combustion. And then your natural talents, your spiritual gifting, your personality, your resources 
coupled with the enablement of the Holy Spirit. That's a beautiful thing. That's an amazing combustion. And that's when a synergy takes place. And that's when people's lives begin to get changed. But many people in the church, they are struggling because they're not walking with God. God's gifts, his calling, the Bible says, they're irrevocable. He's not going to change his mind on what he gave you. But the exercise of that gifting, whether or not you're flowing in that gifting, whether or not there's an overflow where other people's lives are being positively affected by your gifting, the gifting that God has given you, you have a direct say in whether or not you're going to walk with God in such a way that the gifting that he has given you is maximized. Be really careful that you have not settled for what God has given to you and that you think there's no choice in the matter in your own life about whether or not you actually walk with God. There's a difference. God's given you gifts, and if you don't know what your gift is, the best way to find out is to surrender to him. Yes, you can take a spiritual gift survey, but that's not the only gifting that God's given you. He's given you an aptitude. He's given you a personality. He's given you natural talents. He's given you acquired learning, right? And all of those things are important to God, not just one of them. But one of the most difficult things in church leadership is to help people understand that, listen, you're gifting. God's got that. But the real question is, are you walking with God? Because sometimes God will sit you down from public ministry because your private life is out of whack. Sometimes we can hinder what we would otherwise do for God publicly because our private life is out of whack. And you know why that's important? Because how you begin your day and how you end your day will affect everything in between the beginning and the end of your day. And if you can rein in, tweak, refine, overhaul, adjust what you do in your morning routine and what you do at the end of each day, the end of your day routine, everything in between will get straightened out. And today will take its place as a tile in the whole mosaic of your life. Tomorrow will take care of itself. The week will take care of itself. The weeks will add up to months. The months will add up to years. The years will be decades. And before you know it, you'll look back and you'll say, boy, this otherwise seemingly esoteric, mysterious thing that I thought was for the spiritually elite, this idea of walking with God, God actually taught me how to walk with him. And so instead of looking at Enoch and saying, boy, he was the exception, we begin to see that Enoch is actually the example. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11 in what we call oftentimes the great hall of faith, that chapter where so many greats in the Bible are listed as examples. Look at what it says here beginning in verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old, people in the Old Testament, received their commendation, and people now in New Testament times as well. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. And he begins listing here the people of faith, some of the people in the Old Testament, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. See, the New Testament is the commentary on the Old Testament. So before you write off the Old Testament and say, well, I don't need to read any Old Testament stuff, I've got the New Testament. Listen, the only way you're gonna really understand the New Testament is if you become more and more familiar with the Old Testament. They comment 
And they extrapolate the New Testament scriptures on the Old Testament, right? So by faith, Enoch from Genesis 5 was taken up so that he should not see death. This guy didn't die. He didn't experience natural death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And here we get an understanding that to walk with God is to please God. And that's a choice. To walk with God is to please God, and to please God and to walk with God is to live by faith, to believe God for the things he's promised, the things that maybe haven't been fulfilled yet, but to believe that God said it, that settles it, I'm moving forward in my life in Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting is when we get to 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 51, there's an amazing verse of scripture that helps us understand that Enoch He's not the exception, he's the example of how we are to walk with God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And in the New Testament, that idea of sleeping for the follower of Jesus Christ, it's a temporary thing. That's why it's, death is referred to as sleeping, because it's not your final state. And what's interesting, you know, you get to first, first Thessalonians chapter four, and Paul talks about we will meet the Lord in the air. So there are some people who will not experience death. Enoch is a type of those in future times who will not necessarily experience physical death. But I find it encouraging, and you should too. I find it amazing, and you should too, that Enoch is listed here in Hebrews chapter 11, among those who are explained as being among that hall of faith, the famous people in the Old Testament, and he's given to us as an example of what you and I can be and what you and I should be as people who walk with God, as people who talk with God. So you can be alive, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you're walking with God. You can be busy, but that doesn't mean that that's God's best for you. Busy does not equal best. In fact, sometimes busy means worse. So if your morning routine is so busy that you don't have time to open God's word, you need to make adjustments in your morning routine. If the end of your day, you're just so wiped out that you are decompressing by watching television, I'm talking about consistently here, okay, consistently, by texting until the lights go out in your bedroom, surfing the internet, burning the candle at both ends, and I've been there, I've done that as a cancer survivor. Probably my hunch, I'll know it when I see the Lord, is that I got cancer because I burned the candle at both ends. You neglect your body, your body gets worn down, you begin to eat food that's not healthy for you, processed food, more and more processed food, because why? Because I'm just busy. I'm busy and I don't have time to do what? I don't have time to slow down and do what? It's not that we don't have time to make meals, it's not that we don't have time to get more sleep, it's that really those things are symptomatic of perhaps a deeper issue. The real issue is that we're not making time to walk with God. That's the real issue. And nobody's forcing you, nobody's forcing me, but the Holy Spirit is encouraging us to look at our daily routines, 
to look at your morning routine, to think about what you're eating. Garbage in, garbage out. The more unhealthy food you eat in a hurried way, the less clean drinking water you drink, because your body needs it. Most of your body's made up of water anyway, right? That does come back to affect you. It affects your mental state. And you know what else it affects? It affects our spiritual state. We live in a culture and a society that values productivity. The more you do, the greater your value. It's true in the company. It's true in our families. It's true in the neighborhood. It's true in the church. And oftentimes we think that the most spiritual people are the busiest. That's not necessarily the case. They might actually be the most unspiritual people in the church. It's really true. So one of the greatest things you can do in your life is to evaluate what are you doing in the waking moments of each day. What are you doing consistently? The very first thing that you get up. If you're rushing out of bed and rushing into the shower or maybe even missing a shower, you might not be employed too long if you do that too often. And you're rushing out the door and you're putting pedal to the metal and you're breaking the speed limit consistently and you're scarfing down, you know, drinking a coffee because you're too tired all the time because you're going to bed too late. Really what's being sacrificed, not just your physical health, not just your mental, emotional health, but really what's, what's happening is this is your life that's happening. There's no rewind, but there is a pause. And the great aim of the Holy Spirit is that you and I, that we would become people, that you would become somebody who learns to not simply be alive and settled for that, because you don't have anything to say with that, but that you become a person who actually walks with God. And you know, here's the great news, everybody. This is the great news for you. If you are willing to evaluate your morning routine and your evening routine, individually and as a family, you might have that family member who's making the whole family upset and a mess because of what's happening in their morning routine and their evening routine. And you know, if by faith God could do all these things as listed in the lives of the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, I bet you can trust God with that workload that you have. I bet you can trust God with your schedule that is on your plate. I bet you could maybe evaluate what's on your plate and perhaps ask God to take some things off. Maybe you need to take a step back and say, you know what? I'm thankful for God giving me spiritual gifts, but now I want to focus on walking with God. I'm thankful that God saved me so many years ago and my salvation in Jesus Christ is secure. But I've been missing out and I've allowed myself to be robbed and deprived by mistaking the number of years that have transpired between my day that I got saved and now automatically means that I've been walking with God. If you change your morning routine and you change your evening routine, you might be able to say, other people might be able to say of you, when your life is over, not simply that you lived, but that you walked with God. In fact, who really cares about what other people think? In the eternal scheme of things, does it really matter what your neighbor thinks? Does it really matter what your boss thinks? Well, it does while you're employed, I guess, right? 
But in the eternal scheme of things, the only thing that really matters is what are you doing with Jesus Christ? Stop the insanity. Get off the hamster wheel. Stop doing the same thing and expecting different results. Sit down and take responsibility for your morning routine and your evening routine and understand that today is going to take its place as a tile in the mosaic of your life. And if you're not careful, those days are going to get away from you very quickly. They might have already gotten away from you. And before you know it, you've got patterns in your life established where you don't know how to get off of this thing. It's crazy. It's insane. The good news is that you can look at what's happening in your morning routine and you can make changes. You can look at what's happening in your evening routine and you can make changes. You can go to bed earlier. You can stop doing the things that you're doing at night. You can get up earlier. You can keep a Bible by your bedside and the first thing you do when you get up is you open the Bible and you begin to let the Bible read you. And you can submit to the God of your salvation and you can be somebody who's passionate about not simply knowing more about God, but putting what you know about God through his word into action that day. And before you know it, day by day, moment by moment, morning routine and evening routine, as you're more and more deliberate in what is this all about? Surrender. As you're more intentional about surrendering to the Lord Jesus Christ and making him Lord in an active way, in a very practical way, before you know it, the days will straighten out the weeks and the months and the years and the decades and you. And I definitely mean you. You will be a man. You will be a woman. You will be somebody who actually, practically, literally walked with God. Interested in requesting Michael Anthony for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. You can get more resources just like this podcast through the app and website as well.